morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good turn to Ezekiel 36. We'll be looking at chapters 36 and 37 this morning. And we have, I believe, two more studies in Ezekiel after this, and then we'll be on to some new topics. We're going to be looking at various portions of Scripture from the Old Testament that relate to the commandments of Jesus. And I think Brother Josh will be kicking that off, that an overview of that topic, and then we'll start after that with the first, uh, first command of Jesus that we want to look at. So we're wrapping up uh, some studies in the Old Testament here with Ezekiel, and we've been studying Deuteronomy at the same time. And just by quick way of review, uh, as we've been looking at Ezekiel, a lot of prophecy about the nation of Israel and the punishment that came upon them or the judgment that came upon them because of their idolatry and their turning away from the Lord and their wickedness and their sin in the early chapters. And then we saw more recently God's judgment against the nations that he used to punish Israel and to judge Israel, which is an interesting thing. God used these wicked heathen nations to come in and execute his wrath against the children of Israel, but then God turns around and pronounces judgment against the nations that he was using. And of course, he can do that because he's God. He didn't make them vicious and wicked. Uh, he used their their viciousness and their wickedness and their ruthlessness uh, to punish his people and chastise his people, but they themselves are still responsible for their behavior, and God... Uh, judges them for their uh, extreme ruthlessness against his people. And that's kind of what's been leading us up to where we are today. We saw various proclamations against uh, Tyre and Sidon and Egypt, several chapters dealing with Egypt, uh, and, and starting around um, chapter 25, Ammon and Moab, Philistines, Edom, and then several chapters on Egypt. And now we're actually getting to a turning point in the book of Ezekiel where God starts talking about the restoration that will come to the nation of Israel. And it's quite a contrast between what we've been looking at, a very distinct contrast and so we're going to look at three different things that God talks about through the prophet Ezekiel in chapters 36 and 37 in regards to this restoration as it pertains to the land of Israel, as it pertains to the nation of Israel, and as it pertains to the individual people of the nation of Israel. So the land, the nation, and the people. And we'll just cover a few points and a few things and hopefully it will be a blessing to you as it has been to me. I also want to first 
uh, spend a little bit of time in Deuteronomy, which we've been studying on Wednesday nights, and hopefully you've seen some of the correlation between what we've been studying in Deuteronomy and what we're studying in Ezekiel. They're kind of, in a certain sense, bookends around a big section of Israel's history, right? In Deuteronomy, you'll recall Moses is sort of recounting everything that has happened up till the point in time when the children of Israel are about to enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and he's reminding them what they've been through and what God's done for them. And then he's also charging them with the covenant that God's made with them, which was a covenant of conditional on their obedience. And what will happen to them if they obey and what will happen to them if they disobey. And so it's kind of the beginning. And then, of course, all of history happens with the children of Israel and the kingdom's division and, um, you know, the, the times of the judges and the times of the kings and David and Solomon and then Judah and Israel being divided apart and all of the things that happen. And then here in Ezekiel we see, um, in a certain sense, a culmination of God's judgment of the people and their being scattered uh, across the face of the earth and taken into exile and all these things befalling them. And uh, today we're going to actually be looking at the, the promise of what's going to happen to them in the future. And some people will say that there's been a partial fulfillment of what we're going to see in chapters 36 and 37, but I think you'll agree once we go through it that it's pretty pretty stretchy to talk about any of this really having been fulfilled yet. It, it's yet to be fulfilled at a future time in, in fullness, for sure. So let's go back just really quick. I know I had you turn to Ezekiel, but let's just go back and look at Deuteronomy, uh, some of the chapters that we've been studying together. It's easy to find the fifth book in the Bible. I just want to look at a couple of passages that relate to these concepts of the land, the nation, and the people. Recently, we looked at chapter 28, wherein a, a lot of the curses were were mentioned that would come upon them if they were disobedient. But we have some good verses that deal with the land in chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29, starting in verse 22. Now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you, this is Deuteronomy 29 and 22, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases with, with which the Lord has afflicted it, will say all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then men will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went and served other gods and worshipped them gods, whom they had not known and whom, they, and, whom, and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And so here 
Moses was speaking to them of what would happen if they turned away from God and worshipped other gods and 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 uh, left the Lord their God, that there would be a curse upon the land, and all the nations would look and say, "This is why this happened to them. This is why this happened to their land." So, going back to chapter twenty-eight. There's many verses we could look at, but we'll look at verse 64. Speaking of the nation, Deuteronomy 28 and verse 64, Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. This is what was told would happen to the nation of Israel if they were disobedient. And then lastly, when we think about the people, there's many verses we could look at. I've picked a few in chapter 28 also, verse 27, the Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will smite you with madness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. And you will grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness, and you will not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. Look also at verse 36. The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you to a nation which which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. There you will serve other gods, wood and stone. And verse 61, Also every sickness and every plague which not written in the book of this law, the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. Then you shall be left few in number. Whereas you were numerous as the stars of heaven earlier, because you did not obey the Lord your God. And so these were some of the things that were spoken of in Deuteronomy. And certainly we've seen this come to pass, and we won't take the time to go through some of the things we've been seeing in Ezekiel, but certainly we've seen these things come to pass in the prophecy of Ezekiel. And so now I want to look at this concept of restoration. We're not going to read all of chapters 36 and 37, but we will read quite a few sections Uh, of it so you can get a flavor for it. And we'll start with this restoration of the land. And it begins uh, in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 1 to 12. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has spoken against you, aha, and the everlasting heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, For good reason they have made you desolate and crushed you from every side, that you would become a possession of the rest of the nations, and you have been taken up in the talk and the whispering of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and to the forsaken cities which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations which are round about. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, 
Surely in the fire of my jealousy I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who appropriated my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and with scorn of soul to drive it out for a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and to the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my wrath because you have endured the insults of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have sworn that surely the nations which are around you will themselves endure their insults. But you, O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel, for they will come, for they will soon come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities will be inhabited, and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly, and will treat you better than at the first. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. Yes, I will cause men, my people Israel, to walk on you and possess you, so that you will become their inheritance, and never again bereave them of children. And so this is some of what is spoken of as it pertains to the restoration of the land. And you notice a few things. It says, I will treat you better than at the first. Right? In verse 11 there. Very encouraging. Uh, for Ezekiel to be able to speak these words because for so long he's been speaking a message of, of, of a very discouraging message of judgment and discipline to his fellow Israelites. And now he has a message of great <coughs> hope for them. The other passage that deals a little bit with the uh, land in is in verses 33 to 36 of chapter 36. So Ezekiel 36 and verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, On that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, This desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. So you think about the land of Israel and you see how it's described, especially in the first section that we studied, verses 1 to 12. It talks about mountains and hills and ravines and valleys. And certainly it's a mountainous country, right? We've studied in the past Jerusalem, its fortification, its location right there on the, on the hill, on the edge of a, of a, of a steep place, very defensible. (coughs) And, um, these desolate places will be made Uh, lush and fertile again. And the Lord has said that he 
will accomplish this. And so you can see the, the contrast between what we've seen and what is being promised to come for the sake of the people of Israel. So now we'll turn to look at the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, and this is spoken of in the latter part of chapter 37. So Ezekiel chapter 37, and we'll start reading in verse 15. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it, for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. And then take another stick and write on it, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his companions, and I will put them with it with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols, or with their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. We'll keep reading a little bit further to the end of the chapter. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances, and keep my statutes, and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So here we see the restoration of the nation of Israel in these these verses. It's no longer scattered about all the places where it had been scattered, which we read about there in Deuteronomy and which we've seen previously in Ezekiel but gathered together to the land of Israel, right? We saw that uh, in verse um, 21. Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. So no longer scattered, but also no longer divided, right? This whole division that had happened back in the days of Rehoboam between 
the the land of Judah and the land of Israel, or as it's as it's uh, called here, uh, Joseph is used in place of Israel, which is pretty interesting. Uh, the stick of Joseph for the house of Israel, and then uh, the the stick of Judah being joined together into one stick symbolically. Uh, the Lord is is prophesying through Ezekiel that it will be the kingdom will be brought back together as one kingdom, and it says in verse 22, their one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. Now, I want to look at this concept of David very briefly. It's kind of controversial. Some commentators uh, will say that verse 24 and verse 25 are speaking of the Lord Jesus when they say David um, as a picture, as David as being a picture of the Lord Jesus. And others say, no, it's actually speaking of David. David will be uh, the, the king over this future glorified nation of Israel. And I'll tell you right off the bat, I don't know the answer. I've heard um, very wise and, and learned people on both sides of the argument. Um, I don't know that it's super important. Uh, I will point out just a few interesting things. So first of all, you'll notice um, some of the words that are used. Um, it speaks about... Uh, in, in my translation here, it, it uses the word servant, but um, in verse 24, but in verse 25, it also uses the word prince. So at the end of verse 25, it says, And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. And if you look at that word prince, it's very rarely used of a king. Sometimes is, but it's more often used of somebody who's, who's a leader, um, but not a, a, an absolute monarch at the level of a king. And um, it's also interestingly used sometimes of, of a mist that rises up out of the ground and, and ascends up in, into a cloud. It's actually a word that's used uh, the same in, in both meanings. And the idea of a prince is somebody who's risen up and ascended into a position of authority, of leadership. And so if you think of this actually as being about David, it's interesting that a, a word that's typically not used of a king is used, and it's interesting that it's using a word of somebody who's raised up to be a prince over the people, to be a leader over the people, and to be in authority. And again, I can't be dogmatic about, and I can't even tell you what I think because I honestly don't have a strong opinion either way about this, but if, it's interesting to consider if God was going to choose from among the kings uh, that had been king over Israel uh, to be a king again in this future nation, who would he choose, right? And and there, there would be a, maybe a few decent choices, but David would outshine the rest by a long stretch, right? So it's interesting. Also, if you look back at Ezekiel uh, 20 and verse 33, it does talk very briefly here about this concept of the restoration 
the prophet Ezekiel has been hinting at the restoration even during the judgments that he was pronouncing in the earlier chapters. Um, in verse 33, it says, As I live, declares the Lord God, Ezekiel 20, verse 33, As I live, declares the Lord God, Surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, so on and so forth. And so, if David is to be prince over the people, there's no doubt that God will be king over all the people, right? So that much is true regardless. Now, I also want to look uh, at verse 26 back in Ezekiel 37. Uh, as we finish talking about the nation here and switch to our third topic, which would be the people. Verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. A covenant of peace I will make. An everlasting covenant. And so there's a contrast here between the covenant that we've been looking at in Deuteronomy and the covenant that God is going to make with the nation of Israel in this time. So again, just by way of reminder to, to really hammer home the, the point here and the comparison, I'll read some of the verses that relate to this covenant or these covenants, depending on how you look at it. Uh, that that God was speaking through Moses to the people in Deuteronomy. It says, uh, you don't have to turn back there, but in Deuteronomy 28.1, It shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And then in verse 15 it says, It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So there's a word that's used a lot in those sections. And the word is you. If you diligently obey, if you are careful to do all the commandments, right? If you do not obey, if you do not observe his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you with today, this is what the old covenant was based on. And now we'll look at our one of our third passages here, back to Ezekiel 36, dealing with the restoration of the people of Israel. Ezekiel 36 and verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Now, the word you is used a lot in that section, too. But if you notice, I was emphasizing the other things, which is the words I, right? And if you look at the act, the actor, the person who is acting and, and, and doing things, it's not the use in that section, it's the I, right? I will do this. I will do that. That's God speaking, right? He, he is the one who is acting on behalf of the people. And it's no longer, this covenant is no longer conditional on their obedience, but God is taking charge and cleansing his people. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Therefore, I will put my spirit within you and cause you, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is a, this is a completely different situation than what we saw before. And if you're really a, 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 an Israelite at this time, perhaps, listening to this message and thinking about it, if you're an honest Israelite, you probably would hear this and wonder how it could even be possible. How could it even be possible, knowing our wickedness, knowing our propensity to constantly turn away from God, for us to walk in the way that God wants us to walk and observe the ordinances that he wants us to observe? We've proven time and time again that we can't, and now he's telling us that we will how will this be possible? And if you read verse 26 and 27, you see that there's a transformation taking place. Right? This is not just a, a try-harder situation. This is a new heart. Right? A new spirit within them. And the covenant is based on these actions that God will perform and not conditionally based on the people's decision or ability to be obedient. So I want to look over at uh, chapter 37 as well and just read the passage there about the dry bones because I think this illustrates in a very, very vivid way the type of transformation that will happen and needs to happen to the children of Israel. And it's a significant passage here, and we should we should not leave here today without having read it. So Ezekiel 37, the first 14 verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. (laughs) Ezekiel had got pretty smart by this time, hadn't he? (laughs) So you really have to picture yourself in this situation. Um, 
in, the, in, in a valley of, of bones scattered about, not even joined to each other in the places that they should be joined to each other, and very dry. No sinews, no tissue, nothing remaining, just bleached, sun-bleached, dry bones lying on the ground. Can these bones live? Verse 4, Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold sinews were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of men, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. So what God is talking about here, it should seem impossible. And, and until until this vision that I just read here in verses 1 to 14, the restoration that God's been speaking about should seem impossible to any thoughtful person among the children of Israel that's hearing what Ezekiel is saying. Like, how can... After all of this scattering, after all of this curse, after all of this slaughter, after all of this captivity, after all of this destruction, after all of these plagues and curses that have come upon us because of our disobedience, how can there be this restoration that you're talking about? There's not even enough of us left to restore. There's not even enough of us left to rebuild. And God is saying, you're not thinking about what I can do. You're not thinking big enough. This is what... I can do. And not only this is what I can do, this is what I need to do. You need to have a new heart and a new spirit in order to be able to be my people. If I leave you the way you are, you'll never you'll never be my people. You'll never be pleasing. You'll never be obedient. You'll never walk in my ways. You need to be transformed. So hopefully this reminds you of a person in the New Testament uh, one of the commentaries I read, I read pointed this out, and I thought it was really good. So we'll go over to the book of John, in chapter 3, and hopefully it's reminded you of that Pharisee named Nicodemus. A Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a very learned Israelite, a ruler of the Jews. 
John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus already has proven himself to be slightly smarter and more thoughtful than the other folks. Um, He's still politically savvy and a little bit nervous to go and be seen with Jesus, so he goes at nighttime. But he's taken a, a close enough look at what this man, Jesus, has been doing, and he's obviously uh, somewhat learned as, as it pertains to the Old Testament scriptures, and he realizes that no one can do these things unless God is with him. And so he wants to learn more. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And hopefully now you're thinking about that wind that came rushing and breathed life into those dry bones. Nicodemus says in verse 9, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So Jesus is saying, How can you, Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, one who's learned in the Old Testament scriptures, not understand these things? Haven't you ever read what Ezekiel said? Would have to happen before my people could live a pleasing life. They would need not stricter obedience, not more judgment, not more rules, not more laws. What would they need? A new heart, a new spirit, new life. They would need to be born again. It's obvious, Nicodemus. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that... Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that that special promise in Ezekiel 36 and 37 that we're reading about, the restoration of Israel, it is a special, unique promise for God's people, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. 
that they will be gathered back into their land in that place on the mountains of Jerusalem, that they will have a king and a prince over them, that they'll be restored and their land will be restored. But the part where it speaks about them having a new heart and a spirit put within them and God cleansing them, that's accomplished through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that those of us that are here this morning, that are a new creation, that have been born again, that are Christians, that are saved, that are bound for heaven someday, the same mechanism, the same faith, and the same sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Lord Jesus knew that he would be lifted up on a cross, that he would bear the sins of the world. And this is the solution to mankind's problems of sin. Not that we would become better people, but that God would send his Son to die in our place, that through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be a new creation, and that God would put his Spirit within us We would be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is the same salvation that will enable the nation of Israel to come out of their graves, as it said there in that passage in Ezekiel 37, and to be clothed with new bodies and to have a new heart within them, the heart of stone taken out and the new heart put within them and a new spirit put within them. And they will walk in his ways, and they will obey his statutes. And the same can be true for us. So if you're here this morning, maybe you've come many times to this meeting. Maybe you think it's good that you come to church here on Sunday because it helps you to be a better person. I can tell you right now, if you have never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in him, it says in verse 18, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Doing good things, helping other people, that doesn't save you. Coming here every Sunday, that doesn't save you. It's good because here is where you can learn about the things that we're speaking about and come to know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. But until you accept him, and have a relationship with God through faith in him, through believing in what he did for you by going to the cross, by looking at him lifted up on that cross and realizing that he went there for you. Until you have come to that point in your life, you're not headed for heaven. You're headed for judgment. Verse 19 of John 3, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. If you prefer the things of this world and the deeds of this world and the practices of this world and you stay away from the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and you reject that, you're judged already, it says. Verse 21, But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Remember that verse that we read there, that very well-known verse, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
So what an encouraging me- message for Ezekiel now to be able to turn to with the nation of Israel. The land will be restored. The mountains, the hills, the ravines, the valleys. The nation will be gathered together and united under one king. And the people will be not just improved, but completely transformed into a people that can please God and can walk in his ways. Something they've never been able to do on their own they will be able to do. And God tells us, we didn't have time to look at the verses, it says he didn't do it for their sake, but he did it for his name's sake, because he had placed his name upon them. He did it for his name's sake. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message uh, that you have given to your people, Israel, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel. We thank you that it's a future message. It's something for us to look forward to, uh, that you will restore them and show kindness and mercy to them for your name's sake. And Father, we thank you for the message that we have in John chapter 3, which is not only for them, Lord, but for all the nations of the world, that whosoever believes in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved. And Father, we pray that there are those here this morning that some of these words of scripture would stick in their mind and be applied to their heart by the Holy Spirit weighing heavily upon them. Conviction, Lord, we pray for that, for those that might not know your son, that they would recognize their need and stop putting it off, Lord. Stop hesitating, that they would commit themselves to you, Father, that they would accept that work that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and stop holding back from doing that, Lord. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised this afternoon. We do not know when our time here will be over. And so, Father, we would pray earnestly for these unsaved family and friends, those that even come into our midst here every Sunday. We thank you for the food that's downstairs. We pray that you bless it to our bodies. We thank you for the hands that prepared it, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.